from the team that brought you nothing. Anyway, tell me about last night. Finally get laid or what? The year is 1999. I wonder when she comes online. Why to Cameron, a new indie comedy. You just gotta take a risk. One show only, Saturday, April 1st, 9.15pm, Broadway Cinemas in Tilsonburg, Ontario. Tickets are $15 and are on sale now. I will not die a loser! Hello everyone and welcome to Pucks on the Dasher, a hockey podcast. I am your host, Adam Glass. Uh, just me. Just me. Uh, day late. Apologize for that. Um, worked pretty late yesterday, though I almost kind of worked a little late today, but that's fine. Uh, just really late day yesterday and just did not have the energy and I don't want to ever do this podcast just to do it. I want to actually want to do it, so I decided to push it for a day. I did try because I pushed it for a day to see if I could get Sean or Tyler on. Uh, unfortunately, that was not possible either. So, solo show. Uh, I don't really want to talk about what I've been... I have been watching some stuff. New season of Mandalorian, fine. That first season was still... I don't know. It'll probably never be as good as that, regardless of what happens. Um, but honestly, it's probably the best Star Wars thing that exists. Honestly? Maybe? I think I kind of prefer the fact that it doesn't really have Jedis in it. Really at all. For the most part. Kind of nice. A little explore the... I like, as I've said, I think on this podcast before, I like the galaxy. Or, if you will, the world of Star Wars. Don't necessarily like the most... with the, Between the prequels and the most recent... Uh, trilogy, I was very burned out by the whole Skywalker saga, if you will. Um, and honestly, anytime I go back to watch the original movies, that pause was deliberate. I, I maybe I should rewatch them again, but I I have no desire to ever watch them again for some reason. I I mean I know I want to show my kid one day. But he just doesn't seem interested yet, and I'm not going to like force him to watch the movies I liked when I was a kid, because that seems weird. Don't do that. Ask them. You know, don't sit your kid down and be like, you have to watch this. <laughs> it's, it's like, he probably won't like it that way. <laughs> or they probably won't like it that way. Um, so yeah, Mando's good. Um, I feel like thinking about it now, I'm like, no, I'm caught up on it. It's hard to, in the new era of streaming and having... Um, well, no movies that you generally want to watch, um, or shows that you want to watch at your fingertips, just a bunch of stuff, um, content, if you will. It's hard to do a weekly show, I guess. I like it. It's fine. It doesn't bother me. Um, I don't, it's just, a, yeah, I can't always remember if I've watched the previous week. So sometimes I will go to watch, remember to watch it and there'll be two episodes, which is fun. Uh, but Mandalorian, I'm still fine. Watch it if you liked it before. I don't think this season's going to make you like it if you didn't before. Uh, the other thing I've been watching on Amazon Prime, I'm not sure what other streaming services is on. It's called Louder Milk. Like milk is in the the sponsor of the Maple Leafs on the jersey. Louder Milk. Uh, it's developed by one of the Ferelli brothers who are known for movies such as There's Something About Mary, um, Stuck on You. <laughs> Um, there's, I, I'm not going to bring up their IMDb and I used to know their movies fairly, but there's something about Mary's probably one of their bigger well-known movies. Me, myself and Irene, I believe is a Ferelli brothers movie, but that style of comedy, um, Ron Livingston is the lead louder milk. Uh, it's basically a dark comedy. Um, and it's, I like it. Uh, Will Sasso plays his roommate, 
who I haven't seen since probably Mad TV days. So, and he does a really good job in it. It's a well acted show. Uh, the comedy is dark for sure. Um, not over the line, but definitely towing the line of potentially offending people um, in a way. Uh, but I, I've been enjoying it. I'm on like the second season. I think there's four on Amazon. I don't know if it's still going as a show or not. I didn't look into that. So I guess I, at some point may be disappointed that it's either done or that I have to wait for more of it, but, um, I've been enjoying it. Yeah. So louder milk and uh, Mandalorian most recent watches. Uh, other than that, been, uh, whipping through the Metroid prime remaster still, Got past some of the more frustrating bosses. I'm basically on the point in the game where I'm just going around and collecting the rest of the expansions uh, and things like that and the final keys to get to essentially the last level boss, um, which I'm interested to see how that goes because um, the bosses in that game can be really hard. But I'm enjoying it. Um, there's a, I did at one point have a situation where I had played for approximately an hour or so and had gotten a bunch of expansions and secrets and had beaten at least one boss and I had no health left and no real way to farm it anywhere easily uh, and no save point close. So I had to just kind of venture ahead and I unfortunately did not make it and lost about an hour and an ish of playtime and sat that game down for probably a good week. I wasn't actually sure at one point if I was actually going to go back and play it again. It is one of my favorite games of all time. That hasn't changed. But I think it's a lot, maybe a lot more difficult than I remembered um, in some ways. I think it's more just the saving. The, it's it's definitely not a game I can just sit down and play for 10 minutes. I have to kind of be like, oh, I need to set aside at least probably half an hour give or take, if I want to actually accomplish something in the game, because there's not always save points at places you want them to be. Sometimes you got to backtrack or forward track, if you will, to get to one. Um, so that's not great. I know with the Wii, you could put it into sleep mode or whatever, and you're probably going to be able to get back into your game. But I just, that seems like a lot of trust instead of just getting to a save point. So, uh, and also Minecraft dungeons, like crazy, uh, an insane amount of it. My kid has found his way back into it. Um, and people I know, it, it was free on PS Plus last month, I think. Maybe this month still? I don't know. If you have PS Plus, go check. Uh, basically Diablo, but with a Minecraft overlay and not as complicated. Kind of complicated, but not as complicated. And very... Um, hmm, opposite of... Very player-friendly. Um, if you put... If, you know, if you have a bunch of loot that you like, you're getting loot constantly. Like, you really aren't going to use certain things for very long. But <clears throat> there are things called enchantments, which can buff up your loot or your wearables, what have you. And when you get new stuff, you can salvage the old stuff, and it gives you back all your enchantments. You can use it on the new stuff. It's not trying to be punishing. Uh, the safe stuff is really... It's jump in, jump out co-op, which is awesome. It's also cross-play across, I think, everything. Um, I'm playing on Switch currently with somebody who's on PS5 uh, a lot of the time, uh, and I've also played it on my Xbox One. It's on it's on Game Pass too. If you have that whole thing, it's also if you want to buy it, it's like 25 bucks I think. So if you have kids, it's local couch co-op too, up to four players I think. Um, it's fun. It's whatever, and it can get very very hard. Uh, but if you have a younger kid that's looking to play games and maybe a dual stick game is just a little over their head right now with trying to figure out like a first person style which seems to be so many games nowadays uh, this is kind of overhead isometric you're just moving one joystick to move your guy around and then you can you know you're using magic and it's only a few buttons for the most part and the super complicated stuff uh, you can kind of overlook and still have tons of fun with the game uh, I enjoy it. I'm. I think I'm pretty close to beating it, or at least beating the first. There's a bunch of DLC, obviously, and all that stuff. But moving on, this is a hockey podcast, as I like to say after rambling about something non-hockey related. So, last week was the first week of fantasy playoffs, uh, and all my well, all obviously, but the auction pool 
though given that Bedard is on the line, it feels like there's a separate playoff happening in that pool. And uh, let's just say it didn't go great uh, at all in either pool. Uh, but I guess we'll do the regular order. So over in the big pool, I uh, got roped, just roped 9-1 to one by the team that beat me in the final last year. Uh, I honestly, looking at how the week ended up right now, am not... I'm not going to sit here and say I had a great week, but I don't think I had a 9-1 to loss week. Uh, the only category I won was goals. I had 18. 24 assists, I had 42 points. That's a decent week. He had 32 and 46, obviously. Minus 7, obviously, that sucks. Um, he had a plus 9, so, and but that kind of got close a few different times. That's a weird stat, though. Whatever, I get it. It's a randomizer, if you will. It doesn't. It rarely ties. Power play points, I had 12, which is, I would say, mid, mid, give or take. He had 21, which is just, I don't even know if I had a week where I had that many all week, all year. That's just, that's just, yeah. 126 shots I had. That's a pretty good week. He had 145. <laughs> had 43 hits, which is decent. He had 53. <laughs> two wins. I mean, in this pool, sometimes two wins is... Enough to at least tie. He had four. 2.49 goals against. Not terrible. Very mid. Okay. You have a chance. He had 1.5. 9.13 save percentage. That's decent. He had a 9.49. 9.49 and four wins. Just, just roped. Like it was never, it was close enough that I feel like I could flip some stuff, but it was never close enough that I ever had a hope of winning. <laughs> He basically Mondayed. He, I think he was up like nine nothing after Monday, and the Bruins, I think, already had won a really good, easily, um, well statted game, if you will. And uh, it was just didn't go up from there. And then on Saturday, I had to bench three players, and I benched three players that all got points. Um, some of them multiple, so I benched five points there. So if you look at the standings here. Those five points would have flipped me at least one more category. It may have changed my plus minus slightly. It's not going to win me that, or it might have got hits. I don't know what those guys had hits that night. Um, it doesn't change anything, though. The goaltending really screwed me, and it wasn't, well, yeah. Elias Sorokin, we're going to talk about him later, but um, in a certain section that I'm sure you can know what to expect. I'm going to go over some quick hits here on guys that he had that smoked me this week. Uh, Phil Deneau had five assists, but four on the power play. That's I would call that pretty good value there. Adrian Kempe had six points. Great. Perfect. He had four goals on nine shots. Four goals on nine shots. Perfect. Awesome. Great. Brandon Montour had 14 shots last week, which was literally more than almost all my defensemen combined. So that's that's all oh, my defensemen. Oh, my whole defense core last week should be poo-poo performers. That's just gross peripherals, gross everything. That's gross. Other guy, obviously, he had Mika ran in four points, but 20 effing shots. 20 shots. That's. I mean, I have a guy that had more than 20 shots, but still. That's gross. Gross. And Jason Zucker, 16 and 11. 16 shots on goal, 11 hits. He only put up two assists, one on the power play, but still. I don't have one guy that had double digits in both. Wow. Yeah, I didn't have one guy that had 10 hits last week. Well, I might have. I didn't play. I don't think I played. Ross Colton had seven, and I'm pretty sure I benched him at least one game, one, one night, so... Maybe I would have had one guy hit 10, but he only had three shots, so that's not that's not why I have you on the roster. Anyways, so that's the big pool loss. Um, I'm going to go through the weeks. Um, this is basically going to be a very fantasy-focused episode. I'm going to go through how my weeks went, and then I'm going to double back to um, my points pool team and my big pool team and kind of do an autopsy, if you will, of kind of where they're at, where my keepers could be, that kind of stuff. 
So, speaking of which, obviously, I, there's no bearing the lead there. Uh, points pool lost. Um, <clears throat> if you'll remember from last week's show, which Tyler was on, we were playing each other. I was pretty much leading all week for the most part. Not huge. But Tyler basically, I think on Tuesday, had texted me and said, congrats on your win, which is classic Tyler. Um, and I was like, great, reverse jinx. And he was like, oh, those don't exist. Well, well, do they? The original projection had me beating him by seven points. Uh, final score was 141-51 for him and 136-22 for me. He beat me by five points. Uh, and... I'm going to look here because I haven't actually looked this up officially. He grabbed Victor Arvidsson for Sunday and he had two goals and one assist and two power play points, eight shots on goal, one faceoff win and had 7.83 points. I picked up with my last move, Gabe Velarde for that game and he was a minus 0.4. So basically he beat me because he picked somebody up. Uh, notably, I had dropped Arvidsson a few weeks back to pick up uh, Anthony Bavillier. So there, there is potentially a timeline where I don't make that move and I beat him by 15 to 20 points this week. Um, but hey, it happens. It's fantasy. So he will be moving on to play the first place team uh, in the semifinals. I will be uh, wondering who I'm going to keep. Uh, moving on to the auction league. I actually won this week um, in the consolation. So I'm in the consolation final, quote unquote, or the lottery draft. I don't know. The draft final, should we call it? So basically, if I win this week... I would have the right to, or I will, um, be able to draft Connor Bedard. Which, given the fact that I'm out, well, I'm still quote-unquote playing a week for standings in the other two pools, which basically means Adam's starting his roster and just um, making sure that he's not benching like Austin Matthews on a night one in on Saturday when everybody plays or something. Uh, but not really doing any roster management there. Um Auction pool week is pretty much. <laughs> this is probably the most important fantasy matchup of my whole season. Um, let's. Can I remember how to do this on? See, I know how to do this on my phone, on the app, but I don't know how to do it on the piece well the desktop if you will um huh okay so i wonder if i can figure this out on my phone well i'm on the podcast so i'm gonna vamp for myself uh and the easiest way to vamp is to talk about vamping now i don't actually know what the ooh no no I know the word is just not going to come to me right now. Basically, the origin of the word, uh, whether vamp is short for something, is it offensive? And I just don't know it. I don't feel like I feel like I still hear it enough. Uh, that I don't think that's the case. Um, however, I can't. Okay vamping for myself and now I'm also trying to think in my head how to do this and I can't remember how so since this has only been okay two and two and one and two two and two and one and two and I'm oh and one and oh and three so he is, it's probably close right now in the, so basically what I was trying to figure out, um, we don't actually have an official consolation Yahoo bracket thing. They, cause it's not actually whatever. 
either way, um, it's weird to look up how I'm doing in my matchup for Connor Bernard. But it looks like it's probably relatively close right now. But it's also Tuesday night, um, so I don't think it really matters unless I've got a shutout or something, which I don't. Anyways, one last week in the auction pool. And since I have now wrapped up my fantasy weeks in these pools, it is time to do my final, at least for a week. I don't know if I'll do... Maybe that might be a potential thing for next week. We'll see. Next time Sean's on, this feels like a thing that I would do. Um, But basically, I'm going to go through my final poo-poo performer and super-duper star for actual fantasy weeks. Um, I, I will only have one week that's relevant next week, which is the Bedard week. So maybe I'll shout somebody out, but it seems pointless to poop on somebody if I actually win. Now, if I lose, okay, let's say this. Next week... If I, if I win my fantasy matchup in auction, I will do a super-duper star for the week. If I lose, I will do a poo-poo. So, poo-poo performer for this fantasy. I'm going to do one for each of my losing teams. Uh, so, over in the points pool. Though I, should I? No, whatever. It doesn't matter. That would be uh, Mr. Dash 5 and no points, Evander Kane. Perfect. You, I, I kept you. Not only lost your dual eligibility, you were hurt most of the year. And when you came back, you weren't particularly good at all. You had one hat trick, which was completely irrelevant for me at the time. And then I've just been, but have been like a minus almost every single game except for that one. Like you're Dash City. Dash City. Like, you're just not playing defense or you're on a line that doesn't play defense. It is the Oilers, so who knows, but uh, not good. That's shitty. Could you have easily had seven, six points this week to win me my week? Yeah, you easily could have. And you had point two three. Awful. 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 And I had him in an auction pool, too, and somebody wanted him all season and refused. Yeah, whatever. I felt weird about keeping him and then drafting him in pools, and I... Karma got me. Karma got me. I won't do that again. Uh, okay. Big pool loss. So, who's the poo-poo over here? That would be... I mean, it could it could be anybody. Okay, let's just go through all the guys that got zero points. Okay, Jacob Rana got zero points this week, but he had 10 shots and three hits, and I benched him for the one game where he got two points, so we're going to cancel him out. Ross Colton, zero points, minus one, three shots, seven hits. I'm going to look just to double check. I think he might have had an assist one game, and I and I benched him. So, However, this guy I know I played every night, and Keanu Miller had a minus two with only two shots and five hits. That's just not even remotely good enough. And he was absolutely on fire at one point. Um, but, like, the last three or four games, for whatever reason, everything is just dried up peripheral-wise, and he's not putting almost any points on the board. Oddly enough, he has one tonight, which is perfect, because that doesn't really matter that much. But um, lastly, Ilya Sorokin. One win, but a 3.49 and an 8.70. He literally allowed five goals to Columbus. And then they also lost to Buffalo the next late. So the Islanders back-to-back losing those two games essentially ended my fantasy season pretty effectively. Now, Varlamov only allowed two goals and actually had decent peripherals that game. But that 495 and 815 and no win against Columbus, especially for a team that's like fighting to be in a playoff spot, that's just, you can't have that. You can't have that at all. All right, so Super Duper Star, obviously that's going to be for my auction pool team. Um, I tried to find somebody specific to that team to pull out, but there wasn't anybody that necessarily stood out because this guy's just, he came, I don't know. I don't know where he was for most of the year. Obviously he was hurt or something. Um, I would say if he would have had even remotely close to a season that he had last year, it would have probably changed my fortunes in fantasy quite a bit. But uh, he showed up last week, and that's Mr. Austin Matthews. Four goals, three assists, two power play points, which for seven points is tough. That's not ideal. 
would have been nicer to be four or five. But 27 shots, but no hits, which I found odd. He had been banging around there, but 27 shots is very... I wouldn't be shocked if he led the NHL in shots last week. Um, but that's a nice little week for your first round of fantasy playoffs. So, I mean, the best player on all my fantasy teams was the best player on all my fantasy teams last week. So, can't really fault that at all. So, where does that leave us with my teams? I guess we'll start with the big pool since that is usually where I start traditionally when I go through my weeks. And what I'm going to do here is, I don't know if anybody else does this, but um, I would recommend that you do, if I'm being honest, especially helps when trading uh, for sure, um, if you want to take this into consideration. But I keep a little notepad on my iPhone notes thing that'll go to my computer and, well, my Mac and my phone. And it's a pinned note um, right below groceries, which is a continuous note, which never ends, which I just pin to the top and constantly change. Um, There has also been things on this grocery list that have probably been on here for at least a year. Um, But most of it is just stuff at the bottom, which is just like, hey, you should do this. Some note didn't, didn't. Uh, Anyways. Oh, my old license plate is up here. That's pretty funny. So I can get rid of that now. Okay, so I keep a notes app on my phone. And what is in that is I have my three pools and I have all my keepers listed in each pool. Why is this helpful, you might ask? This is helpful mostly for me when I want to make trades. Because I don't necessarily want to acquire a keeper level player Unless they are either A, an upgrade on a current keeper, or or B, I just have an extra keeper spot um, because I somebody's whatever. I'm not keeping him again or whatever. I don't want to get into a situation where I trade or give up a big draft capital or what have you for a player. And then at the end of the season, I get and I can't make a count. And I'm like, oh, no, I now have to basically... Dr- not keep a keeper level player and I'm out draft capital. So I like to have this little note on my phone. So when I'm negotiating trades, uh, I kind of know what I should and shouldn't go after or who I value the most on my team. I do also break it down by position because I think that's also super important. So here are my big pool keepers going into this season. Austin Matthews, obviously Joe Pavelski, Jesper Bratt, Matt Duchesne, Vladimir Tarasenko, Alex Dabrinkat, Morgan Riley, Alex Petrangelo, Elias Sorokin, and Freddie Anderson. Now, looking at this list, I can confidently say that every single one of these players, except for maybe Tarasenko, because he had a weird year last year because of injury and stuff. So maybe we'll leave him out because he actually had a decent season. Every single one of these keepers but Tank had a down year compared to last year. Maybe not Sorokin. He's had been really good this year, but the Islanders definitely, yeah, he might be okay. Let's, but Freddie Anderson was hurt. Obviously, he's always hurt, but. He's not had he's had a pretty meh year. The worst part about him is he usually allows two goals a game, but they win, but they only allow like 20 like 18 shots or and he's allowed two goals, so like two on 18 is yeah, not a great save percentage in a Cats league. He'd be fine in a wins league. Um even though he might lose out on some saves, he's at least putting up dubs. But uh to bring cat down here Duchesne, like, obviously, I knew he was going to have a down year. Still serviceable, I think. As But Bratt had kind of a down year. Pavelski, I think, is probably... I don't know, I'll have to see. Matthews obviously had a down year. He's not scoring 60 goals this year. Um, But, I mean, fine. Okay, so let's look at it. Pavelski is at 67 points, plus 34, 23 power play points, 169 shots, and 82 hits. Where would he have been last year? Where do I? Okay, I can't. Perfect. Yeah. Why would I want to? Why would I want to look at any sort of in-depth 
point totals there. Uh, Yahoo, thank you for that. So I'm going to type over here in this other website called Hockey TV. And last year, he had 81 points in 82 games, 27 goals, 54 assists. Uh, so, I mean, based on his age and everything, he's fine. He probably is fine. He is technically having a down year from last year. But I would say, not only do I have to keep him again, I think he's basically a lock until he, I don't know, I, I feel like at one of these points he's going to fall off and it's fine. Um, but he like you can't not keep 67 points and almost 180 shots by the time the season's. Like, he's still got, obviously, games left, so he could break... 180 shots, almost 200 shots. Like, you can't... That's... That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, looking down here, we are looking at Vladimir Tarasenko. 15 goals, 28 assists, 43 points, minus 14, 11 power play points, 150 shots, and 71 hits. Not a great year for him, but St. Louis was a nightmare. I think he's... He's not a player I would consider not keeping, to be honest. I know that sounds weird, but like the big draw of this team is I have multiple 30 goal scorers, uh, and I like to keep that. And he, I think, still has the potential to get there. Again, uh, let's just for Terra Sanko. You could have had all these. How would I have all these up for like 20 players? It's just not going to happen. So last year he had 34 goals. In 82 points in 75 games. Then he was, well, he was basically hurt for the, yeah, because there was all that whole screwed up. His, but he is pretty much a absolute lock for 30-ish goals a season. And to me, that's an automatic keep right now. He's 31, so he's not super old yet. He could, if he re-signs with the Rangers and they also don't re-sign Kane, then that makes him even more tantalizing, so... I'm pretty locked in on him, probably. Um, he's, I don't know. I just like having him, for whatever reason. <laughs> Petrangelo, okay. 47 points, 9 goals, 38 assists. Plus 9, 12 power play points. 144 shots and 61 hits. I kind of get him, because I know he's not going to be huge for me points-wise, but he'll be fine. But his peripherals are really what I'm after, and... I don't know, man. He's going to be a bubble keeper for sure. I think he might be a bubble keeper this year. Part of the reason I did keep him was because of the fact that I gave up pretty good draft capital for him and Anderson last year. Um, and I thought with Vegas and full season, I, and Vegas has been good and he's been like, he's going to break 50 points and he's going to break 150 shots, but... That's not, I don't know. We'll see. Morgan Riley obviously had a down year, was hurt for a bit. Four goals, 35 assists, minus four, 16 power play points, which is nice. 111 shots on goal, 63 hits. He's a keep. There's no, he's going to be running that power play for the foreseeable future, or not running it, but at least on it. So I feel like he's going to bounce back next year. I don't know if he'll ever have a 70-point season again, but as long as he can break, 55 to 60 then he's definitely worth keeping and they signed with that long deal i don't he's a lock to me um k andre miller had a breakout year 38 points eight goals 30 assists plus 10 uh, only three power play points but he barely plays on it and 100 shots and 149 hits this is a guy i desperately want on my team um, because I know the year he has his actual breakout year, he's probably going to break 50 and then 150 and 200 potentially or something. Who knows? Um, the, the Rangers are going to be good for a bit. Uh, if Igor has a good year, his plus minus will be more than fine. Igor had a bit of a rough year and he was still a plus 10. He plays crazy amounts of minutes, like over 22. Like he's basically a top defenseman at this point. Am I going to keep him? I would like to. I don't know if it's necessarily wise. You're kind of keeping based on potential, which I've learned to not necessarily do in this pool. 
Where will he go next year in a draft? I don't think he's going in the first round or even probably the second round. I would be, he would be, because he's only going to end up with like 40 some odd points. So he could be like a mid round pick. I, those are the kind of picks that I don't have. Um, so we'll see. That might have to be, we'll see. Austin Matthews, I'm not going to go through it. Down year, but he had, he's going to probably break 40 goals. He has 77 points. Plus 31, which is crazy. Only 20, I think 25 power play points a little, but he's going to break 300 shots and he might even break 100 hits if he decides to. Uh, Debrinkat had what I would consider a down year, mostly because he's not going to break at least 30 goals probably, but he still had 60 points. The minus 28 sucks. He was a, definitely a dash city for me a lot of nights, which isn't great. 28 power play points though is sick. 241 shots and 105 hits. Like he is. This is a down year for him, and he was still arguably the second or third most valuable fantasy player I have. Like, my whole keeper group is looking for probably a pretty decent rebound next year, um, and I'm kind of looking forward to that. Speaking of which, Jesper Bratt had 66 points, uh, plus 11, 20 power play points, great. 194 shots and only 20 hits. He's never, he's just not going to hit anyone, that's fine, but he's going to break 200 shots again. He's got 30 and 30. There's still upside with this guy for sure. Um, I could honestly see him riding with Hughes to like a 90-point season uh, for sure. Maybe even higher, who knows, depending on how like this offense keeps trending. Because last year he had 73 points. This year he's going to end up with... He's probably going to break 70. So that's back-to-back 70-point seasons. He scored more goals this year, but he has less assists which I kind of actually like to see. Um, And he's actually been a big plus player, but that's a lot to do with the team. He's also only 24, so he is just about to reach his peak. He has been an absolute knockout steal of a waiver ad last year. Like, holy shit. Like, this guy wasn't even drafted, I think, last year. And I added him on waivers uh, early on when he had kind of started showing some signs of life and just rode that out. Uh, obviously Anderson had 19 wins, but a 2.45 and a 9.04 on only one shutout. That's not great. Sorokin, 27 wins, obviously 2.39 and 9.23. That's fine. Five shutouts. That's okay. Um, I want to see his, cause I'm actually really interested cause I know the Islanders weren't as good last year, but I don't like Noah's stats off the top of my head. So last year, he only had 26 wins. He's has 27 now, and he's probably going to hit 30, I would think. Uh, why doesn't it show shutouts? What kind of stats are you showing me here? Last year, he had a 925. This year, he's a 924. I feel like he had more shutouts last year, but apparently, Hockey DB doesn't want to show me how many shutouts he had. What the hell? Oh, there we go. It's, why is it over here? So he had seven last year, he has five this year. So a little bit of a difference, but not huge. He was basically steady Eddie, and he'll continue to be that way. Like, he is 27. He is in his peak. He's, you based on what the Bohor Rat trade, and you would assume that the Islanders are going to keep trying to improve their roster. So uh, he's an automatic keep. I'm obviously keeping Freddie Anderson. I mean, Varlamov had 11 wins and two shutouts and had a 271 and a 913. Like, he was actually really good this year as a backup. Uh, he had some key shutouts in certain weeks for me, for sure. Uh, so I, I wish I could keep him, but I can't. I'll probably try to draft him again next year, but it really also depends. Freddie Anderson's a free agent. So depending on where he goes... Um, he's definitely a guy that you would ideally want to have his backup over Sorokin. Um, or maybe I roll four. I don't know. Because the Islanders will be decent, and Varlamov is legitimately one of the better backups in the entire NHL. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, any other guys I want to talk Like, Boone Jenner was hurt a bunch, but he put up 25 goals, 200 shots, and 116 hits. Like, his peripherals are great. His minus 26 obviously sucks. He will probably be a guy I'll be looking at in a draft next year. I feel like he probably drops late. Like, he's not going to break 50 points, I would think. Maybe. But if he doesn't, he's a straight C. 
Uh, this is classic, like, mid-round guy. Uh, Bavillier, I traded for, ended up with 37 points this year. Uh, whatever. I'm not obviously keeping him. Trevor Moore had, as far as I'm concerned, a down year, but he was hurt a bunch. These... Uh, one guy I do want to highlight, he was a waiver pickup and due to injury on his team, he, I basically never dropped him again. Uh, that's JT Comfrey ended up with 42 points this year, 143 shots, 35 hits, 13 power play points, plus seven. He's probably for sure going to break 50 points. I don't know what his fantasy value is next year because this was purely based on his spot in the lineup. So I don't necessarily know the as depth chart well enough. Uh, to see where he's going to fall next year. But if he, I would say if you can go into September or your draft season and he looks like a lock top sixer, and especially if he can get on that top power play unit, which I think would be tough, but maybe he's carved himself out a spot there after this year, he would be a nice target, I would say. But based on how many injuries they've had this year and stuff, like he's basically warming the spot for Landis Cog. So we'll see. To me, the one, oddly enough, bubble player that I am thinking about right now, uh, which I don't know if I would have considered it. This is going to have to obviously be a... I think my keepers are more or less going to stay the same. The only guy I'm kind of on the fence about is Duchesne. Uh, He obviously had a down season. I don't necessarily like Nashville's prospects offensive-wise going forward. Uh, they're going to be kind of a, I don't, I guess I'll have to see what they do in the off season and when Trotz takes over. Um, but I'm not necessarily super high on him for next season. He is a right, pure right winger. And I already have Brat at pure right wing. Pavelski is a slip, like a flip, but he's C right. I'm more weak on left wing. Cause I only have Brat a uh, Debrinkat on left. Um, all my other keepers are either center or right forward wise. Because Tarasenko is obviously a straight right wing too. Um, so Duchesne's the bubble keeper, I would say, and maybe Petrangelo. And if I don't keep Petrangelo, I don't... Like, do you keep... Yeah. I don't know. I think I'll probably end up keeping him. Because I don't really see a better alternative, at least on my roster. The only thing that kind of does put a little... I don't know. Maybe into my keeper situation is there are a few college guys that I'm looking at that might sign and play before the end of the year. And if I can somehow pluck one of those guys off waivers because I added all those waiver dollars, then they potentially, like I'm not doing that unless I'm keeping them obviously. So we'll see where that goes. There's probably still going to be at least another week, maybe two before I can even think about doing that. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes, but the, it's going to be weird, but this is a guy I picked up just, he was on waivers in this pool late in the season um, not necessarily due to the quality of talent, mostly due to the situation. Because uh, he was playing in the minors and stuff like that and was out of the NHL for a bit this season to deal with some issues. Uh, Jakob Verana, I ended up grabbing on waivers. I think I put in a big, like a $13 bid on him um, when somebody dropped him or whatever because I wanted to just see. He ended up getting traded to St. Louis, and I knew they didn't have a lot, and they had traded Tarasenko had a spot for him where he could actually maybe be him. Uh, he only played like 16, between like 14 and 16 minutes a night. So like second, third line-ish, probably more like third line player, which is fine because he's obviously hasn't really played much this year. But he put up like almost a goal a game Um, in that time. He threw in some assists. He was generally a plus player on a bad team. He had a couple power play points, but he was putting up minimum like two to three shots and he was throwing some hits. He had some nights of like five, seven, six shots. Uh, in his short time, he had 10 goals. So Sorry, 10 points, seven and three and 43 shots uh, in the amount of games he played, which I mean, once again, now, okay, Two years ago, if you would have offered me Jakob Verana, especially when he was on the Caps, I would have like been all over him as a potential breakout. If the Blues don't make any huge moves and they actually do sign him for next year and I can see a top six spot and especially a top power play spot available to him, I'm, I don't think I'll have space 
He's definitely a guy, because of how many points he puts up this season, that I'll probably be looking at to maybe draft next year, depending on, once again, the situation. Um, so we'll see. But, like, I liked... I didn't watch any of the games he played. I just watched this. But it was more... I just wanted to see what his shot rates would be like, uh, if I have to be 100% honest. The fact that he was almost a point per game on a bad team with playing little to no minutes means that I he still has, like, his analytics... So the reason I like him is because when he was in Washington, he was playing sheltered minutes. He's basically like the Rasmus Sandino forwards, if you will. If you want to, if, if you're a Leaf and you want an easy Leaf fan and you want an easy comparison, he basically put up really good numbers in sheltered minutes. Uh, at five on five, analytically, he was one of the top goal scorers in all of the NHL based on how much time he played and how often he scored. He was looked to be like the next big breakout, like player on that team he was shockingly traded out of nowhere for Anthony Mantha and I was calling it a complete steal for the Red Wings maybe now given what happened this year we maybe know a reason that the Capitals moved on from him for a player that was maybe in a better situation to help that I don't know like could the, I don't know for sure I'm just trying to spread weird rumors or anything but like you it's hard not to connect those dots after what happened this year But honestly, I like him as a player. I will probably be, if he stays in St. Louis and has the opportunity there, um, depending on what kind of deal he signs, I want the show me contract. I don't want multi, I want like a one year qualifying offer deal, like one year QO. And they have a spot for him in top six and potentially on a power play unit, ideally PP1. He's a guy I'm looking at late in drafts. He's a guy, he, he's a guy that could easily put up like 30 goals and 200 shots next year. Like honestly. Like, it could seriously happen. And if his hit rates stay the same, then he might also be putting up, like, 100 hits. Which which would be nice production from a guy that I guarantee, regardless of what fantasy pool you're in, he will probably be going in the later rounds. Because he's only going to end up with, like, probably 15 points this year. So anybody who totals by last year's points or and percentage, all that stuff, like, I don't see him being ranked very high based on his season. So potentially a bubble, but like I said, if I can get one of those college guys that I'm looking at, then maybe this is a completely irrelevant conversation, but I said Petrangelo is also potentially a bubble, so we'll see. Maybe two guys that I might change my mind around on here. Okay, let's flip over to the points pool. I <laughs> I made sure to actually write down this week what time uh, I started the podcast recording so I could time out how long I've been doing it for. And we just finished the first team that I wanted to talk about as far as a fantasy autopsy, if you will. Um, and it's we're already at like 45 minutes. So I guess we'll do this and I'll be out. Um, so that's interesting. Now I probably end up doing this faster because of that. But let's go through it here. So what were my points pool keepers going into this season? So last year I actually had some pretty decent keeper decisions in this pool. Uh, I know who they were, so that's interesting. But basically, who I ended up keeping was Matthews, Malkin, Panarin, Nylander, Evander Kane, Sam Reinhart, Morgan Riley, and Igor Shosturkin. Okay, so locks for already. I'm keeping Malkin. There's no he had a huge year this year. We're gonna look at it, but so I can actually see. Sometimes in my head, I'm thinking guys had a like Pavelski specifically based on what I saw this week. I didn't necessarily think he had a or what we saw what I saw earlier I don't think I necessarily saw that he thought in my head he had that good a season but that's pretty sweet I guess uh so sometimes I think a guy had a down year and maybe he didn't so this is why I like to kind of go back and do this autopsy if you will uh about that so Matthews is a lock Malkin's a lock Panarin's a lock Nylander's a lock Riley is a lock and Shesterkin is a lock Kane and Reinhardt I would consider bubble based on how my year went and how my roster looks, I might just keep them anyways. Because honestly, the only... Hmm. Okay, let's go through it here. So Malkin, what did he end up having? He's got 75 points, 33 power play points, which is higher than anybody had in on my other roster. Uh, three game-winning goals, 208 shots, 389 face-off wins, 50 hits, 30 blocks. 
171.03 fantasy points. 200 is considered elite, as far as I'm concerned, if you're not a goalie. Um, you hit 200 as a forward, you are an absolute lock keeper. Anything above, like, 175, between 175, 200, like, that's definitely, to me, pretty much a lock keeper. Uh, so Malkin, obviously, keeping him again. Panarin's at 161.78, fantasy-wise. He's got 24 and 58, plus 4, 30 power play points, 4 game-winning goals, 178 shots, 3 face-off wins, 24 hits, 10 blocks. The biggest difference between Malkin and Panarin, given the fact that Panarin has more assists and is a better plus-minus, is basically all those face-off wins. Like, that's where that extra value for Malkin is coming from. Uh, but still, like, that's huge year for Mr. Panarin. Uh, next up, we have Mr. William Nylander, who has 180.58 fantasy points, which is obviously a career high. He's at 36 goals, 45 assists, 15 points, 26 power play points, 5 game-winning goals, 254 shots, 25 face-off wins, 15 hits, 16, 26 blocks. I mean, it's, thank you. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say to him. <laughs> thank you. Uh, next up, we would have, well, Evander Kane, 60. I mean, we're not going to talk about him. Sam Reinhart, 139.9 fantasy points, 27 goals, 28 assists, minus 18, which is just terrible. 22 power play points, which is good. Uh, two shorthanded points, which is nice. Four game-winning goals, 204 shots, 188 face-off wins, which is also nice for a center right. Uh, and then 52 and 42 for hits and blocks. He had a weird year in Florida. He was all over the place, but he was still playing huge minutes. He just seemingly was not putting up the points in long stretches. I think I'm probably going to keep him again. He's still pretty young. Uh, I I don't know. I think he's fine. I think it's a he's fine. I don't well like honestly. I don't really have anyone else on here that I necessarily see as like oh I should so. Okay, so let's say, hypothetically speaking, who had big, strong standout seasons for me and who was absolute garbage in this pool for me this year? Well, Kane was garbage, but he was hurt, stuff was hot, whatever. Who were underrated starts? So, Yoel Eriksson Ek had 165 fantasy points, which you'll notice is more than Panarin, uh, more than Reinhardt, more than Kane, 23 goals, 35 assists, Plus two, 23 power play points, three shorthanded points, a game winning goal, 236 shots on goal, 650 face off wins, 111 hits, and 51 blocks. I might have to look at. I know I had him last year and he was a potential keeper for me, and then I didn't, and then I ended up drafting him again. He just has these nights where he just puts up huge numbers. It's really hard to not think about that. So. The other guy who was a bubble keeper for me last year who I ended up drafting again was Val Nichushkin. Uh He only put up 104 fantasy points, but he's basically been a point per, play, like a point per game player when he's actually been healthy. Uh, he also put up 15 power play points in the small amount of time he was playing. Uh, 16 goals, 27 assists, plus 15, uh, three shorthanded points. Like, Yeah, I have some decisions to make again in this pool, I guess. Hmm. Uh, also, Tyler Foley had a huge year. 30 and 30. 158 fantasy points. Uh, 24 power play points, which is really nice from a Flames team that wasn't that great this year. Like, he had almost... How are him as... Oh, nine more assists. A couple of power play points. A couple of game-winning goals. More shots. Face-off wins. Huh. Nylander has almost 30 more, well, 20 more fantasy points than him, but it's based on five goals and nine. Yeah, okay, that's that's like 10 points. So, yeah, over 10 points. That makes sense. Uh, Defense-wise, Mira Heiskanen, who I drafted and wanted to have a breakout, did have a breakout. 134 fantasy points, uh, 11 goals, 51 assists, 27 power play points, one shorthanded point, which is kind of nice. Uh, Morgan Riley, by contrast, only had 80 fantasy points, four and 35 Evan Bouchard, who I notably wanted to drop most of the year until Barry got traded, ended up with 76 fantasy points. Huh. 
I don't think I would have. My defense was kind of a mess in this pool most of the year, if I'm being honest, because Riley was hurt or ineffective. Bouchard was basically garbage most of the time. Heiskanen was always good. Um, and then I dropped somebody. I don't know who else I had in here for most of the year, but right now it's Truba, which is not who I had. I kind of cycled somebody in and out for that last spot a lot. But Bo Horva obviously drafted him. He had a huge monster year, 37 goals, 28 assists, 22 power play points. 189.80. He also had 888 faceoff wins, which would lead my entire team by a considerable margin here. 189.8 fantasy points. I know he'll have a decent year next year, but it's definitely going to be worse than this year, I would think. I don't know. Maybe he's a bubble keeper. I don't know. Jeff Skinner had a 31-39 season, 19 power play points, 149.2 fantasy points, like solid draft. I think I picked him up on waivers, actually this year and then just ran with him uh he had more points than reinhardt like i don't think i can keep reinhardt again now looking at who else i have on here matthews obviously is my only forward or defenseman to break 200 fantasy points and he had a down year so that's that's how my season went in points pool just very mid very mid as tyler likes to say goaltending wise uh i drafted bob because i felt like i had no choice he ended up with 143.10 Fantasy points, which was t- 13 more than friggin' Fionix Copley ended up having. Uh, Bob obviously had u- ugly peripherals this year. He had 24 wins and 20 losses. Like, a lot of his <laughs> minus value came from a lot of those losses, actually. Um, obviously not keeping him. Igor's the stud. 207.5 fantasy points, narrowly beating Austin Matthews. 33 wins, only two shutouts. He actually had a down year, I would call it. He's still going to end up being one of the top fantasy goalies in the league, so that's pretty nice. Uh, yeah, I I guess I do have some decisions to make in this pool. Uh, I don't think I have any guys that are free agents that I have to wait and see where they land. This is just a matter of... I don't like to set... it. Depending on situations, it's not... You should really be making your keeper decisions as late as possible. Um, like... Not, like, look at it like the day of your keepers do, but, like, I would say it's not even relevant to look at your keepers unless you have off-season trading uh, before to, like, a week before keep your keepers are due. Or even a couple days, whatever. Unless you have locks, but you want to wait as long as possible just based on injury, based on uh, teams trading, signing, all that kind of stuff. You might have... Like Evan Bouchard, obviously his fantasy value is skyrocketed. I would have to keep two defensemen in this pool, which is, I don't know. I I feel like I've, I should not try to go too crazy here, but you really got to hope for that Morgan Riley bounce back if I'm going to keep him in this pool. Because if I'm not going to keep him, I'm not going to keep him, then maybe he's a trade chip. Would I consider trading Morgan Riley? In that? I've considered trading Morgan Riley in various pools a lot of different times, if I'm being honest. Especially when he was absolutely going off that one year. But I just, it would, I've, I've basically been the only owner of him in all my fantasy pools. For the most part, auction is not, in big, points in big pool, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one that's owned Morgan Riley on their teams. Um, so it's it would just be weird to see him getting points for somebody else. I don't know. I almost feel like I'm just too OG with him, and I just have to ride it out. It's easier in the big pool because it's a deeper pool, and even having a 50-point defenseman as a keeper is fine. It's not necessarily hurting you, especially when there's some upside like he would have. But in points pool where we have less keepers uh, and only 10 guys in the pool, and you can probably be keeping a better defenseman than him some seasons, that's tougher. But, hey, it is what it is. And speaking of is what it is, this podcast is what it is for this week. So uh, I will thank you for listening and talk to you next week. 